AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's Brett Johnson with you here on a Tuesday afternoon as we are joined by the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer, Patrick Kulikan, who is going to be chatting about some of the stories that they have been working on over at the Minnesota Reformer, including some uh, reforms that are going to be implemented at the Minneapolis Police Department. Plus, we are going to get Patrick's thoughts on Representative Dean Phillips possibly entering the Democratic presidential primary race. So, Patrick, thanks so much for coming back on the show today. Always a pleasure. So let's start off with your column talking about Dean Phillips, who, of course, is from the 3rd Congressional District, which includes pretty much all of the West Metro area here in the Twin Cities. And he made some waves by proposing a potential presidential run. He didn't denounce that he is running, but he seemed uh, somewhat open to the idea of possibly running for president in 2024 and challenging Joe Biden in the Democratic primary. So why is Phillips proposing such a move, and why does he think that could help the Democratic Party? Well, those are questions that we are going to chat about right now with Patrick. So what I'm curious, Patrick, before we dive into some of the politics of this and the strategy, what are some of the people that are close to Dean Phillips saying about why he's potentially considering this run? Because as I understand it, you had a chance to speak to a few people who are kind of close to Dean Phillips. So I'm curious what their thoughts are on this calculation of him uh, potentially entering the Democratic primary. Yeah, it's really not about him. Um, In a way, it was, uh, this may sound strange, but we live in strange times. I think he was trying to create a conversation around the need for an alternative for Democrats, or at least the need for a primary. And um, that sort of entailed floating the idea that if nobody else is going to do it, I'm going to do it. Um, but in general, um, what he's more interested in is a conversation amongst Democrats about, about where we are, um, Democrats broadly, um, go, you know, 15 months before the election. Uh, and it seems kind of perilous uh, if you really kind of get into the details. And by that, uh, I'm referring to recent polling showing that the president's job approval rating is only uh, 39%. That's a New York Times uh, Siena poll. That's pretty much a gold standard polling. Um, he runs even with uh, former President Trump, who's the likely nominee, and he, uh, more so every day. And uh, the problem with uh, running even with Trump in a national poll is that Republicans generally have a electoral college advantage. So uh, you run even with Trump, you're likely to lose. And I think that the, the, the consequences of the, of the Trump second term are, are pretty devastating for American democracy. So I think that's the conversation is, is that President Biden is doing poorly in the polls. He's especially doing especially poorly with young voters. And he's going to be 82 years old when he's president. I mean, I think that's the issue that people don't we're not talking about because um, it's a little awkward. But that's the reality of the situation, and I think anybody who's, who knows, who's known, who's had aging parents, relatives, or friends, uh, know that things happen after the age of 80, especially. So I think that's the conversation that he's trying to, to provoke, and I we can talk more about that. Well, you also cited that there are some big concerns with younger voters and people who potentially could be voting for Joe Biden, as this uh, New York Times poll showed that just 1% of 18 to 29-year-olds strongly approve of the way of Biden 
uh, the way he's been handling his job as president. And 94 percent of Democrats under the age of 30 said they wanted another candidate to run in 2024. So I'm curious how big of a worrying sign this should be for Democrats, because oftentimes I hear them say, well, if we look at younger voters, the majority of them, if not almost all of them, when presented with a choice on Election Day, in 2024 or any other year, will generally come home and vote for Joe Biden or the Democratic candidate simply because, well, the Republican is so awful that they couldn't stomach being able to put a Republican. How big of a concern should this be? Because I also do look at that under 30 class, which is very highly educated uh, on candidates. And do you buy the idea that maybe they come home in 2024? Or should this be a big concern for Dems as we head into the 2024 cycle? Well, I, the, the one advantage that, that Democrats have um, with every passing year is that a uh, significant number of these new voters uh, become eligible, uh, these younger voters, and they, they lean heavily Democratic. And then on the, at the same time, uh, the older voters who, who lean Republican are dying. And it, it needs to, uh, leads to a net uh, positive for Democrats um, every year. And so they, they ought to be doing increasingly well. Um, but they, these voters will stay home. I mean, young voters generally uh, are tough to motivate to get out. And um, so that's the real concern, that uh, you have this important voter block for Democrats increasingly um, and, and, and should lead to increase to advantages for Democrats over time. Uh, but if, you, if you're at 1% with them, um, even if they prefer you to the alternative, are they going to be motivated to turn out, let alone volunteer and do all the things that help you win elections? And you also brought up in your column that if something were to happen to Joe Biden before Election Day 2024, certainly we don't hope that happens, but let's be honest, he is in his early 80s right now. The question would be who would enter the picture as the Democratic nominee if something were to happen to Biden next year. And it sounds like you have some concerns about some of the alternatives that could potentially pop up, like Kamala Harris. So potentially, uh, maybe this would be helpful to have a Democratic primary, so you at least would have someone who's kind of rearing and ready to go, uh, should that need arise come up in 2024, correct? Yeah, the, the, if, if something were to happen to Biden, and there's, there's a non-trivial chance that that could happen, somebody who's 80 years old, the, the natural response would be to elevate the, the vice president. Uh, the problem is, I don't really have anything against Kamala Harris, Vice President Harris. Uh, she certainly has uh, brings uh, some assets to the table, but she's had kind of an impossible job. They've given her a very difficult portfolio, um, and you might even uh, wonder if they've done that on purpose. And uh, partly as a result of that, her numbers are even worse than Biden's. Um, so the idea of a competitive primary or at least nominally competitive primary, is that it would give folks a chance to stand up a campaign um, in terms of the, the infrastructure of it, raise money. Um, you know, you go out on the campaign trail, and, I mean, I've seen it myself. These folks, they get better as they do more of it, and so you need that. Um, it would force uh, President Biden to get on the debate stage, prep for debate, um, and and to do outreach to young voters. Um and so that if something, uh, so, so there's a lot of benefits to it. And, and if something does happen to, to President Biden, God forbid, um, there's somebody there. Uh, and let's say that Kamala then steps up. Okay, well, 
you know, but then you want another alternative, at least one. Um, and I think Democratic voters are saying, are telling pollsters and reporters that uh, that they want more more choices. So, um, to me, there's there's a a lot of upside to this and a huge risk if you're putting all your eggs into the uh, into the basket of the of, uh, a guy who's clearly capable and vigorous, um, but still 80 years old. So you're, you're telling me RFK Jr. is probably not the good alternative we should be looking for for Joe Biden, correct? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Dean Phillips, was, he was on uh, Face the Nation this weekend, and he was asked about uh, RFK Jr., and, um, and Phillips had the right response. It's just, uh, RFK Jr. is not, not a Democrat. He doesn't, doesn't have his positions or are not uh, aligned with the Democratic Party in any way. The only reason he called the Democrats is because of his family. And, and the fact that he's even in the race and pulling at these numbers, it's, it's entirely due to his family as well as uh, his fans uh, with a, a bunch of um, um, really, um, um, well, anti-vaxxers that we, we really don't want in public life. Um, so no, that's, not, that's not the alternative here. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the way I kind of envision this primary going is that um, it's certainly not going to be negative because nobody's going to take shots at, at Joe Biden. I mean, he he is beloved by most Democrats. He's done a he's accomplished a lot, um, a lot of uh, the goals of of progressives and Democrats more broadly. He's he's a party man through and through. So every time the party has shifted, he's shifted with them. Um, so it's not going to be some long drawn out um, ideological fight. That's not what I'm. Uh, envisioning here, it's um, a a much uh, friendlier uh, primary that is probably over pretty quickly, um, but it does give Biden a chance uh, to campaign and to uh, explain to Democrats why he should be the standard bearer again. It forces them to uh, prepare uh, for the coming debates um, and uh, get out and and engage with younger voters. So what do you say to the notion that primaries are usually bad for political parties and specifically presidents? Because at least when I look at open primaries, they seem to actually be helpful for political parties. Uh, back in 2008 with Hillary versus Obama, even the Democrats in 2020 had a relatively competitive primary. You could even make the argument that the Republicans had a competitive pr- primary back in 2016. But it is a little bit different when you're primarying an actual sitting president where the history is a little bit more mixed, uh, if not completely negative when it comes to to someone who is challenging an incumbent president. What do you say to that argument that, well, if we primary the president, it usually ends up hurting their political party, and then the sitting president usually ends up losing in the general election anyways? Yeah, I mean, you go to 1968, Eugene McCarthy basically knocks LBJ out of the White House. 1980, uh, where Ted Kennedy took on uh, Jimmy Carter and, and almost certainly hurt Carter. George H.W. Bush uh, was hurt in uh, 1992 by Patrick Buchanan. So, yeah, there, there is a record there. However, uh, I would point out, I mean, first of all, it's only a handful. So it's not like there's some statistically uh, meaningful sample that we can rely on. But then also, all of those involve really fierce, divisive, ideological fights in the party. Um, 
certainly Eugene McCarthy was the anti-war candidate. Um, you had 1980, Ted Kennedy was definitely running from the left against Carter, and Patrick Buchanan was running uh, from the right against H.W. Bush. Um, and, and that uh, division in the party um, stayed through Election Day. Uh, I don't really see that here. Um, and I don't think it would be that kind of primary. I think it would uh, give somebody a chance to introduce themselves to Democratic voters, make their pitch. Uh, the reality is that Democratic voters are almost certainly going to uh, stick with Joe Biden, um, but maybe not. And, um, and so the, the voters will have their say. Um, and, um, but if, if Biden is primaried, and uh, as I would suspect would come out of this, I think stronger. Um, because he wouldn't have that divisive ideological battle going on. Um, it would be um, a different kind of primary. We can read more on about that column over at minnesotareformer.com. Minnesotareformer.com, as you can read Patrick's latest column about Dean Phillips uh, musing the idea of potentially entering the presidential race. Uh, one more story I wanted to talk about that you guys are working on over at the Reformer has to do with what Dina Winter has been reporting on, and that's Minneapolis Police Chief Brian O'Hara announcing a restructuring of the department, putting a new leadership team largely in place, as he named two assistant chiefs and five deputy chiefs, and basically reorganized the department into two divisions, an operations division and a community trust division. So I'm curious, let's talk a little bit about what each of these will do. I mean, operations to me seems fairly straightforward and obvious, but I'm a little bit more curious about what this community trust division does, because uh, within that, it looks like they'll also have a constitutional policing bureau, a new internal affairs bureau, and a restructured professional standards bureau. So let's talk a little bit about some of these reforms that they are going to be implemented at the Minneapolis Police Department and specifically this community trust division. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> O'Hara says that that comes from um, best practices. Uh, so looking at police departments around the country that have uh, better relationships uh, with the, the communities that they serve and that this structure uh, he is, um, he's taken from uh, mimics from other departments that are doing better. And uh, you... Um, you have to like that uh, he's at least trying something on this front. Um, I, I love the phrase constitutional policing. Uh, the question is, uh, will, will the rank and file um, accept these changes and, and start to make the changes uh, that are going to be necessary, uh, not just to be a, a better police department, but also to uh, abide by the agreement with the State Department of Human Rights and uh, was expected to be in agreement with the Department of Justice after they made the, their findings that the, the department has a history in the recent past of discriminatory, police, discriminatory policing. So how has O'Hara largely been kind of getting along with the rank-and-file officers? I know Adina at least had a chance to speak to him a little about that, so I'm curious what he said. Yeah, he said, um, he said he's, got, uh, he's got some uh, folks most he thinks most folks are are ready to uh, move the department forward, uh, but not everybody's a fan. And I mean, I think we're you know you've seen recently um, where the union hit at him uh, pretty hard, 
um, when they uh, when they fired an officer, um, and I think there's some some grumbling amongst uh, some in the rank and file, but I don't think that's really been fleshed out yet. Um, so we'll just have to see how this new structure takes shape and uh, whether or not uh, it has an effect on the culture of the department. You can read more about Dina's great reporting on this and some of the re- some of the reforms that are going to be implemented by Police Chief Brian O'Hara over at minnesotareformer.com. As we have been speaking with Patrick Kulikan, who is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer, talking through reforms at the Minneapolis Police Department, as well as Dean Phillips potentially entering the Democratic presidential primary race. Patrick, as always, thanks for coming on the show today. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. All right, let's take a break and send things back over to Matt McNeil on AM 950.